this morning we're going to finish up our study series on Psalm 23. And as you're turning, let's quote our verses, right? Remember, we've been learning Psalm 23 this summer. So let's see how well we've done. We'll even put it on the screen. Let's make it, let's make it easy for everybody this morning, all right? So let's quote Psalm 23, 1 to 5. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, verse 6 is our verse for this morning in our last week of study. Let's say it together. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, there is a beautiful amazing truth in that last verse. And we're going to study it in depth this morning, but let's quickly summarize some of the main spiritual principles that we have learned so far in our study. The first thing we learned in week one is that we are all spiritual what? Tell me. Sheep, right? We're sheep. We have a need because we don't really know what we're doing and we get lost very easily. And we learned that the Lord is the only true shepherd to trust in. We also learned that we can be confident in the Lord even when he restrains our control. And he has to restrain our control many times because we get so out of line. But he always leads us to a place of greater strength. And then because we sin, even as believers, we continue to sin, we need to have our soul restored and revived. So the Lord does that by putting us back on the paths of righteousness. Then we saw in the fourth week that we know that even when we're in painful situations, even when we're in difficulty, that we cannot let fear have power over us. Fear cannot control us because we have the Lord. And we know the Lord loves us, and we know the Lord cares for us because he gave his life for us, and he protects us with his sufficiency. And then in the study a couple weeks back, we saw that the Lord invites us to sit at the table of victory. And what a wonderful thing that is. And he provides for us and blesses us so abundantly that David says, my cup overflows. I have more than I could possibly need. Now remember, in verses 5 and 6 that there was a shift there as we moved away from being treated as sheep now to be invited personally to the table of God and to be in a relationship with him. And, and that really brings us such great joy and it gives us an unwavering conviction that every single day we can live in the strength of God. But, but I really love verse 6 because as we get to verse 6, you see it up there and you see it in your Bibles, that, that we get to, I think, what, what the Lord is giving is the most amazing truth of the passage. I think he saved the best for last. And when we realize what he's promising here, when we understand exactly what he's saying, we are going to be so amazed by his love and so reassured by his mercy that, I, that we're just going to have to keep singing. Now, we're going to sing at the end. We're going to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness at the end, because this is the faithfulness of God. Every single word in verse 6 has value. 
Every single concept here is, is just an awesome promise of God, one after another. So what I want to do this morning is real simple. I just want to go kind of word by word. I want to develop this truth, and I pray that I'm out of the way this morning. The Holy Spirit needs to just teach us now. Lord, help us now. Teach us now. Let's, let's just go through word by word, and let's understand what the Lord is telling us here. Start with that first word, okay? Start with the word, surely. Surely. That word means with absolute certainty. So right off the top, the Holy Spirit is saying, there is an unequivocal promise that is not in doubt. There's no question, I'm not, I'm not nuancing this, that you don't need to wonder if it's really going to happen. This is my word, this is absolute certainty. One thing we know for a fact is that when the Lord gives his word, it is absolute. There's no question, we don't have to wonder, well, did the Lord really mean this? If the Lord makes a promise, it's true. It's yea and amen. And that's why when we hold the word of God in our hands, we never have to doubt its promises. We never have to kind of, kind of uh, move around and nuance the commands. It's the complete guide for life. It leads us to life that is abundant and free. So this is our greatest tool. This is our greatest weapon in spiritual warfare. We've got the word of God. Because God tells us exactly what to do. We don't have to question it. It's easy to read. It's easy to study. We can understand it. We can, we can rejoice in it. So the word of God helps us. And then we've got Jesus Christ. And so many people will discount him or dismiss him and say he's a fraud or he's not worth listening to. Listen, John 1 tells us that Jesus is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us so we can be absolutely confident that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So as believers, we're just surrounded by the certainty that he's forgiven us, that he's given us Christ, that he's given us his word, that the Holy Spirit affirms this. So with the unquestioned character of God, with the integrity of his word holding this up, now we come to verse 6, and it says, Surely what is here, certainly what is here, is absolutely true. For the person who confesses Christ, for the person who trusts him as their only Savior, Without any question, with absolute reliable certainty, the next sentence is true. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. I'm telling you, that is an amazing, wonderful truth. Let's start just by defining those two words, goodness and loving kindness. When we talk about the goodness of the Lord... It means what is beneficial and pleasant. Now, be very careful here. Because we have to guard against interpreting that through an earthly, material, self-centered way of thinking. Well, okay, the Lord's going to give me what's beneficial to me and what's pleasant to me. All right, I got a list. Oh, that would be beneficial to me. That would be really pleasant. Boy, if the Lord gave me that, I would be thrilled. And oh, that would be helpful. But that's not how the Lord's defining it. How many know that what the Lord knows is beneficial and pleasant for us is not always what we hunger for? It's not always what we chase after. How often do we chase after what's detrimental 
to our spirit, what's detrimental to our life. And, and we justify it, well, it made me happy in the moment, and it, and it brought me pleasure, and, and it made me feel good. Yeah, that's wonderful. Think about how many things you crave this week, how many things you prioritized, and what was beneficial, what, what generally benefited your spiritual development versus what was for you. You see, we always shortchange our joy and contentment by going after what's temporary instead of what the Lord tells us is valuable to our walk. So he says, I've got goodness for you. I've got, I've got what will be beneficial to you spiritually. I've got what will be pleasant to you and bring you joy and contentment. And I'm offering that to you. And then the second thing I'm offering is my loving kindness. This word literally means mercy and faithfulness. So God says, I'm going to offer you my mercy and my faithfulness. Now stop about and think about that uh, for just a minute. Think about the implication of those two words. Here's the holy God, the Lord of all things, the one who was offended by our sins, the one who experienced us pulling away, separating ourselves, the one who watched as we chose to put ourselves under the sentence of eternal death, who would be completely justified to say, you blew it, sorry, you, uh, you, you had a chance, I showed you love, I showed you mercy, and you rejected me. That, that that God then would be willing to show us any mercy or any grace. He doesn't have to do it, but not only does he offer it, not begrudgingly, not, well, all right, I feel kind of bad for you, I guess I'll help you out. I don't really want to do this, and you certainly don't deserve it, but, but okay, I guess I'll offer it to you. No, he doesn't do it that way. He pours it out on our lives. The Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he never pulls that back. He never reneges on the offer. He never says, well, you've done too much and, I've, and I want to help you, but you keep sinning and you keep rebelling and you keep pushing against me. And you know what? I just can't do it. He says, I'm going to offer you my mercy and my loving kindness and my faithfulness over and over and over again. And as we think about that, think about those two words, mercy and faithfulness. I was thinking this week of the old hymn. Remember, come thou fount, everybody knows it, sing it with me. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of highest praise or something like that you get the point right streams of mercy what's the line streams of mercy never ceasing think about the mercy of God this morning it comes from that fountain of God's grace. It's a beautiful picture that the songwriter had. This fountain of God's grace that keeps flowing and flowing. In Zechariah 13, the Lord tells Israel, I have a fountain that will be opened for you because of your sin and your impurity. Now, if God can forgive Israel, who is the model, the, 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 the standard for rebellion... The standard for disobedience, the standard for lack of trust, 
And he says, not only am I going to forgive you, but I'm going to have a fountain that's going to cover your sin and your impurity. And I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to bring you back. And I still have plans for you, Israel. I haven't forgotten about you. If the Lord is willing to forgive and redeem Israel, then we know that he can do the same for us. Through Jesus Christ, he says, I'm willing to forgive. I'm ready to forgive, and I will forgive you to the uttermost. I'll provide mercy that will pardon you and will cleanse you. And I will provide mercy that will help you and protect you. And I will provide mercy that will be fresh every morning. And it will sustain you and support you and supply you with all you need according to my riches and glory. I'm ready to give you that mercy. And it's never insufficient. You'll never lack. You'll never go, Lord, I need more. I don't have enough. You've been stingy. No, God is never stingy. He gives us all that we need and more. And then he says, I'm going to fill you with confidence because I'm faithful. I love the picture in Revelation 19 where John says, and I saw Jesus coming and he was riding a white horse and his name was Faithful and True. Oh, praise the Lord for that. If you know the Lord for any length of time, you know that he is faithful. How many of you right now going through a test or trial? How many of you hurting? How many of you struggling? Or if you're not right now, you can easily remember when you were. You can easily go back. It doesn't take much. A memory, all of a sudden you're like, man, I was so, I was in so much trouble. I was down. I was discouraged. I was despondent. I didn't know where to turn. And you know what? God was there. He never left you. He never forsook you. He was faithful. He was always constantly there with his love and his mercy and his kindness. I think back to so many times in my life where I was just defeated and I was struggling and I was just done. And God picks you up, right? How many know that's true? God picks you up and he says, I got you. I'll take care of you. He's faithful. Now here's where things get really interesting. Look back at the verse for a minute. It says in verse 6, Surely your goodness and your loving kindness will do what? They'll follow me. Now that word follow has three distinct meanings. And this is where I want you to really start writing some stuff down. Because all of these meanings have an awesome truth for us that God loves us and he cares for us. So let me give you the three meanings of the word follow here. Because normally we just think, well, you just, it just follows me. I don't know. I mean, how would we define that? But, but the word in the Hebrew language has distinction. So here are the three meanings. I'll say them slowly. The first meaning of follow is to pursue. If you miss it, we're going to study it in a minute. Pursue. The second meaning is to closely look after and attend to. First, to pursue. Second, to closely look after and attend to. And third, to keep secure. 
So what is this telling us right at the outset? It's telling us that the Lord doesn't stop with saving us through Jesus' sacrifice. He doesn't just forgive and cleanse us when we renounce sin and trust Christ, though that would be far above anything we could ask or think, right? He, he doesn't just forgive us and cleanse us. He says there's the faithful continuation of my mercy. There's, there's a faithful following of my mercy, and it's so full, and it's so thorough, and it's so multifaceted that, that David actually, I'm going to use a big word here, you ready? He anthropomorphizes, oh, that's a good word, right? Use that one in conversation this week. Try texting it. He anthropomorphizes mercy and faithfulness. In other words, he kind of gives it human characteristics, Mercy and faithfulness, God's goodness, God's loving kindness, it's going to follow you. It's going to go after you. It's always ready. Any place, any condition, any circumstance, I'm ready. I'm ready to help you. I'm ready to follow you with my goodness and my loving kindness and my faithfulness and my mercy. So let's take a couple minutes and examine each one because I think this will bless us, all right? First, his mercy and faithfulness pursues us it pursues us listen to Romans 5 all right for while we were still helpless at the right time Christ died for the ungodly one will hardly die for a righteous man though perhaps a good man someone will even dare to die but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we're saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we're saved by his life. And not only this, but we exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now, I emphasize three phrases there. Because each of those phrases that Paul uses indicate that Jesus came and he offered God's mercy and he offered God's forgiveness to all people while we were helpless sinners who had intentionally taken the position of being enemies to God. See, some people blame God. Well, why is a loving God punish people? Why does a loving God send people to hell? Why doesn't a loving God allow anything bad to happen? That was our choice. That wasn't his. That was us saying, we don't like you. We don't want you. We reject you. We don't want to trust you. We don't want to do it your way. We can be self-sufficient. And our sin is what creates the separation. God doesn't want to be separated from us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we're the ones that created the gap. We're the ones that said, we don't want anything to us. Now, Now, God could have said, all right. But while we were in opposition... Christ died in order to save us from our sins, in order to reconcile us while we were still in sin. What does that mean? It means that God chose to pursue us. His enemies, the ones who had purposely and callously offended his holiness, the ones who he had every right to send to eternal death, he said, I am going to pursue you. I am going to offer you mercy and kindness and forgiveness for the singular reason that I love you. And when you trust me, I will give you the free gift made possible through Jesus' sacrifice at the cross. I will give you the free gift 
of salvation. So you have to decide. You're going to humble yourself. You're going to confess your sin. You're going to receive this gift or are you going to keep rejecting me? Because there's nothing more I can do. There's nothing more I can do to show you my love and my mercy. He's not going to force us into salvation. God doesn't want a bunch of, a bunch of yes men, a bunch of robots. Well, I, I saved you and okay, God, we'll just take it. You forced us to. No, God doesn't want to do that. He's gone to the greatest extent possible seeking the lost sheep that have wandered away and saying, I want to be your shepherd. I want to be the one who rescues from that. Now, some people say that makes God weak. Well, he's pathetic. He chases after us. I would argue just the opposite. I would say his love is so great and his mercy is so wide that by pursuing us, it causes us to say, praise the Lord. God, why would you love me so much? To me, it elevates the person and work of Jesus Christ. To me, it elevates the power of God that somebody that could have sent me to hell gives me eternal life and calls me his own. How would that make God pathetic? And then there's a second aspect of this pursuit for the believer. The Bible assures us, believer, that we're forgiven and cleansed and exonerated and free and secure, but we know that we continue to sin, right? Hopefully less the more you walk with Jesus Christ because you love the Lord and the Holy Spirit convicts and teaches us not to walk in sin. But, but I don't know about you. I still fail the Lord every single day. So what does God do? His mercy and his kindness follows us because he knows we're going to get into trouble. Remember as a parent, maybe some of you don't have kids this old anymore. Maybe some of you do. I remember as a parent when my kids were three or four, I wouldn't just say, hey, honey, go cross the street, okay? It'll be fine. The cars will wait. It'll be fine. What do you do? You either hold their hand or as you try to let them become more sufficient, what do you do? You kind of follow, right? I'm ready to snatch you at any moment if you're in danger. That's what the Lord does for us. His mercy, look at it. His mercy and his faithfulness follows us. And he makes sure that when we sin, and run to his throne of grace and ask him to forgive us that he's ready to purify us and restore us and refresh us spiritually. Praise the Lord for that. Now, as he's doing this, we see the pursuit. Look at the second aspect of his mercy and faithfulness. It says that he closely looks after us and attends to us every moment of the day. Now, we all know Lamentations 23, 22, 23, right? The Lord's loving kindness never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's not a pipe dream. That's not a cliche. Well, as nurses, I, sometimes we, we almost say it kind of flippantly, kind of, kind of like, oh, yeah, there it is. His mercies are new every morning. N- never, never take that for granted. That tonight... As you and I sleep, as as we lay down, as our eyes close, as we go into deep sleep, that the Lord is watching over us as a father watches over his children. And he is preparing fresh love and fresh mercy for tomorrow because he already knows what you're going to face. He already knows what I'm going to deal with tomorrow. So he watches us full of compassion. 
ready to show us his mercy, ready to help us, ready to come to our defense just because he loves us. Now, what I'm about to tell you is is not any kind of possible comparison to that loving kindness and mercy. But I was thinking last night of what a joy it is to be a parent and how fun it is to have kids and to love them and, and sometimes to do things they don't expect, sometimes to go above and beyond just to bless them. And then I thought of something, because I have a picture of my dad on my desk at home, I thought of something my dad used to do that, that even to this day brings a smile to my face. From the time I was born until I was about eight, my dad traveled as an evangelist. And he would often be gone for a week uh, preaching every night in some church that was having a week-long revival. Or he'd go from church to church and, and preach, uh, sometimes traveling you know, hundreds of miles from one church to the next. little Baptist church in West Virginia or, or a bigger church in, in Maryland or whatever the case would be. And he'd travel and he would teach and he'd share the gospel and, and, and he would minister to people. And usually he'd come home in the middle of the night and almost without fail, he would bring us a little present, even though he almost got paid nothing. One time he preached a week of meetings and was given a set of cowboy boots. There, feed your family with that. Another time, and, and we like this one, but we didn't realize the financial cost. Another time he came home and, and he got paid with a puppy. Okay, Sure. Doesn't exactly, you know, pay my mortgage, but we got a puppy now that we got to take care of. So he wasn't getting paid a lot. He wasn't receiving a lot. He was doing it because he loves the Lord and he loved ministry. But, but he'd always bring us a little present. And he'd leave it on our floor in the morning, uh, in the middle of the night. So by far my favorite of what he used to bring me was, was football or baseball cards. Little 25-cent pack. You remember when they had the, that nasty, nasty gum? Remember that stuff? It was like, it was like chewing on cement. You're like, I'm going to break your tooth. You're like, I'm going to go to the dentist. I just had a piece of football card gum. Now everything's foil-wrapped and hologrammed, and you get like four cards for $12. Back then it was like 15 cards for a quarter. So my dad would almost without fail he would bring home some cards. And, and I would wake up in the morning, and if there was one pack of cards, that was awesome. If there was two pack of cards, that was, like, really, really cool. Sometimes there were three. Now, the best part of that was not that he brought me football cards. I had plenty of those. The best part of that was it meant that he was home. And that it meant that he had thought about me and that he had taken extra time with all he was doing, studying, preparing, preaching, teaching, counseling, ministering to people until late into the night, going back to some crummy hotel, preparing all the next day, going back that night, studying, preaching, teaching, ministering, sharing, counseling, all that day after day after day. And then he'd drive home in the middle of the night with nobody to keep him company, no cell phone, and he'd get home in the middle of the night. But, but he had taken the time to go to Woolworths. You remember Woolworths, anybody? He'd go to Woolworths and he'd get a couple packs of cards. I thought about that last night. 46 years later, that still means something to me. He didn't have to do it. I already knew that he loved me. And he had plenty to occupy his time during the day. But he did it because he cared. Now again, please hear me. 
There's no comparison between that and Psalm 23, 6. But to me, the simple memory of that pack of cards on the floor beautifully illustrates the fresh mercy of God every morning. That every morning when you and I wake up, there's mercy ready. He never fails us. He never forsakes us. So when spiritual warfare is going to hit us tomorrow and the opposition is going to surround us, he's going to provide all we need. And like Elisha and Dothan, when his servant said, we're surrounded, what do we do? Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And there were the chariots of fire. So when you face opposition this week, when I face opposition this week, God's mercy is ready. When you're in need, you're hurting, you're fearful, you're struggling, you're clueless. His spirit is there comforting and strengthening and calming and reassuring and giving wisdom, ready to help. And when people are discouraging you and you're getting defeated and work's not nice and people are nasty and somebody writes something about you on social media, God says, I'll draw you close. Remember what a friend you have in Jesus, all your sins and griefs to bear. Every single day, his mercy's new. So he pursues us, and then he says, I'm closely watching you. I'm attending to you. I know your life. I know what's going on. I'm right there. And then look at the third thought real quick. He keeps us secure. He keeps us secure. In John 10, you can look at it later, write it down. You can study it later. Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem. And the Jews and the Pharisees are up to their old tricks and they're confronting him and saying that he's a blasphemer and all kinds of stuff and just trying to undermine him. And Jesus says, let me tell you something. And this statement should put every one of us in awe. It should cause us to praise and thank him. Actually, i tell you what, we're going to go there. Turn to John 10. We got time. I know it's warm in here, but we got time. Turn just for a minute. We got to read this. Because what he says here is so powerful and so wonderful and so awesome that we should just praise him and thank him with all that we have. And I, as we read this, I want you to see how this echoes Psalm 23. John chapter 10 Verse, let's start in verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they testify of me. But you don't believe, speaking to the, to the Pharisees, you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep, verse 27, hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. Praise the Lord. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who's given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. This is secured. This is secured by the Holy Spirit. 
Because Paul writes in Ephesians 1, in Christ, you also believe the gospel. Now you're sealed in him. You're sealed. It's final by the Holy Spirit of promise who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a, review, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. In other words, when God saves us, we become his sheep. And we're not, again, treated like dirty, lousy, roaming sheep. We're now brought to the table to sup with him. And he says, my sheep are mine. Nobody can take them away from me. The Father has given them to me, and nobody can snatch them out of my hand. And now I'm going to seal that. I'm going to put my confirmation of that with the Holy Spirit of promise. And he's the pledge of what we're going to experience when we get to heaven and we know salvation at its fullest. And it's a view to the fact that I own you. Now don't shy away from that. Because God, by saving us through Christ and by giving us eternal life, says to Jesus, they're yours now. They're your possession. They're never to be taken away from you. And Jesus doesn't treat us like a shepherd might with a rebellious sheep and slap us with the rod and poke us with the staff. He says, now I treat you as my children. You're mine. And this is secure. And if you're struggling with insecurity and you're struggling with fear and you think, how could the Lord ever love me? How could God ever forgive me for all I've done? Let me tell you, his mercy and his loving kindness will follow you. He's pursued you. He watches over you. And he wants to keep you secure. Now we know that's certain. Because he says, surely this will happen. But here's the last part. We have to understand that there are conditions on how effectively we'll experience this. Because his mercy and his faithfulness is not going to be poured out on us. Listen carefully now. It's not going to be poured out on us unless we are walking in the will of God. The Lord doesn't just callously throw about his mercy. He doesn't just say, all right, well, I'll just kind of, whoever wants it, just toss it out. He's going to pour it out on those that love him and seek him and trust him and walk with him. If we choose to live selfishly and abuse his grace, he's not going to keep pouring out mercy on us. When we confess that, he will. So, so what do we do with that? How do we then respond? Because God tells us, walk worthy of your calling. Be somebody that, that shows evidence of what I've done. So having experienced his mercy, uh, walking with him in fresh mercy every day, we're called to live righteously. We're called to live in obedience and gratitude. Now how do we do that? Let's give ourselves a little mental picture here. Turn back to Psalm 23 for a minute. And let's, let's use the exact same words. Let's use the exact same words for, for follow that, that he's called us to in showing how much he loves us because he said, my sheep follow me, right? John 10, 27, my sheep follow me, all right? Well, if, if he follows me with pursuit and care and security, now I'm supposed to follow him. So let's use the exact same words. We're called to pursue holiness, Pursue holiness. Write down 2 Timothy 2.22. It says, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 
Both verbs there, both verbs are active and intentional. Resist temptation. In fact, literally run away from it. Good example, Joseph, right? When Potiphar's wife comes around, hey, Joe, what's up? You're looking, you're looking good. Like, hey, listen, my husband, he's kind of, he doesn't know about what's going on. And you're young, and I like you. I think you're really, I think, I think you and I could have a good time together. Nobody else in the house, nobody's going to know. Potiphar's wife's certainly not going to talk about it because she could be killed for, for being with a Hebrew slave. So she's like, come on, just you and me. Nobody will know. And what does Joseph do? He doesn't sit there and debate it. He doesn't try to talk her out of it. He doesn't say, well, I don't know. Let me, give me, let me have a little bit of time. Let me think about it overnight. It says that Joseph ran from the house and Potiphar's wife, remember what she did? She grabbed his coat. Joseph was running so fast that she pulled his coat off of him as he ran and she used that as evidence on a trumped up charge that he had raped her. When we face temptation, it's not time to sit and go, well, I don't know. Let me think about my options here. What could happen? Is anybody going to find out? How good is this going to make me feel? What should I do here? Flee temptation. Flee temptation. And run to the goodness and joy of God. Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. It's not counterfeit. It's real. So pursue holiness. Second word, we're to carefully attend to our walk. Carefully attend to our walk. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.14, guard through the Holy Spirit the treasure that's been entrusted to you. He also tells Timothy, be an example in speech, action, love, faith, and give attention to Scripture. Take pains to be absorbed in them so your progress is evident to all. Play close attention to yourself And persevere in those things. Jesus says in Revelation 2, hold fast until I come. Now think about those verbs, guard, give attention to, take pains to be absorbed by it, pay close attention to, persevere, hold fast. In other words, not relaxed, not casual, not careless, not distracted by what's not of the Lord, kind of running spiritually willy-nilly all over the place. He says, be focused and dedicated and passionate and sober and attentive and careful. Because the enemy's walking around like a roaring lion trying to devour you. So pay its close attention, just like I do. Just like my dad walking in in the middle of the night after driving from West Virginia, putting those cards on the floor, looking at me, six, seven years old, rubbing my head, saying, I love you. God, every time, looking at us, paying attention to us. Now he says, I've redeemed you. Now pay attention to what you're doing. Pay attention to your walk. Third thought, keep your conviction and walk securely in him. Walk securely in him. None of us, even if you live in a very safe part of town, none of us would go to bed at night and leave the front door wide open, right? Why would you do that? You're just inviting trouble. Maybe nobody's going by. Maybe it doesn't get noticed. Sometimes I've left my garage door open at night. I wake up in the morning. I'm like, who opened the garage door? Oh, wait a second. We left it open all night. All somebody did is just walk right in. You would never do that. But when we remain in sin, that's exactly what we're doing. Here, enemy, here you go. Front door wide open. You can influence me however you want. 
You can attack me. You can go after me. And I have no defense. So we read in 1 John, 1, 2, 1 John 2, abide in Christ. Listen now. Abide in Christ so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. The only way when Jesus appears that I will not shrink away and go, oh no, he's already here. I can't believe it. I'm not ready. Is if we have guarded the treasure that he's given to us and we have walked in him and we've been ready for his appearing. And when we do those things, he says, Psalm 23, 6 will be fulfilled. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Every day of eternity will be spent experiencing the complete expression of God's mercy and God's faithfulness. Because whom the Lord loves, he loves to the end. Now let me ask you, do you have that confidence this morning? Do you know for sure that when you die or when he returns, that you are his, that he has saved you, he has redeemed you, he has cleansed you, and he has adopted to you? If you don't know that truth this morning, as I said earlier, right now is the time. Don't delay. Don't wait. Let me think about it, Paul. No. Today is the day. Today is the time. And we would love to talk to you after the service. We'd love to pray with you. Love to explain that further because God wants to redeem you. His, his mercy and loving kindness has been pursuing you. Don't keep running. Just stop and receive it. And I'd love to help you and encourage you after the service. So if you're leaning toward that decision or you're making that decision right now, I pray when we get done singing, you'll come up. We just want to spend a couple minutes with you. And for us as believers, you know the Lord's pursued you. You've experienced his mercy. Are you and I, believer, are we fervently pursuing holiness are we carefully attending to it because if not it certainly doesn't look like we're very grateful for what he's done we need to walk with the lord every single day praise his name let's close our eyes